We've got a real special treat here this morning. Um, uh, a lady that I'm just coming to love. I love her spirit. She's, she's wild. Uh, she's just out there. She's sold out and crazy for the kingdom. Uh, a lady after my own heart. Uh, her name is Joe Saxton. And I know some of you know of her or maybe even know her. Uh, Joe is a, the equipping pastor at North Heights Lutheran Church. Uh, she's also uh, part of the ministry for, it's called 3DM Ministry, headed up by Mike Breen. It's a discipleship uh, ministry that is really gaining a lot of uh, currency here in the United States. It's already been done in, in Europe for 20 years. She's part of that leadership team. She's an international speaker on, on uh, church dis, on, on discipleship and missional church and things like that. She's always, I don't know how you do it. Everywhere I turn, your name is at some conference. I mean, she's big. She's huge. She's out there. It's, it's, it's great. She's the author of several books. Uh, one that you might really, really be interested in in particular is one in, uh, titled Ench- uh, Beyond Enchanted, which is about women in, women in ministry and uh, the need for women in ministry and coaching women in ministry. And, and uh, so I encourage you to check that out. I'm sure you can get it at Amazon. And I'm so glad that she is for women in ministry, because if she wasn't, she wouldn't be here this morning. But she is here this morning, and it's a tremendous blessing. So give a warm wooden hills welcome to Joe Saxton. Come on, Joe. And just preach it. Be free. Feel the anointing. Let it flow. Have fun. God bless you. Morning, everyone. How are you today? Um, thank you for that welcome. It's quite nice coming here. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come again if I can. Really lovely people. Thank you very much. Very much. Good fun. Um, yeah, you might tell from the accent, I'm not quite from round here. Um, I'm a Londoner. I grew up in London. My family are Nigerian. And um, then moved to the States, me and my husband and those of us from 3DM, about nine years ago. That's a story, um, and it's just a privilege to be able to share with you all. I have um, a fab husband called Chris. He's one of the pastors at North Heights too, so he's preaching there right now. And two daughters, Tia, who is seven. Her um, her ambition is kind of to be a teenager, actually, and um, and she wants to be a paleontologist and a marine biologist, and be very close friends with the members of One Direction. That's her. And then there's Zoe, who is six years old, and she has announced to us um, that she is going to be the president of the United States. That's the game plan. You will vote for her. (laughs) But apparently that's not all. When she's done, she's going to move to northern Minnesota and be a farmer. (laughs) And and, um, apparently Chris and I are allowed to visit her on occasion for dinner. So yeah, that's our family. Um, We're going to be looking at a very familiar part of scripture this morning from John chapter 13. But before I even read those words and, and we dive in into what the Lord may be saying to us, let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, um, it's just a privilege to be able to worship you freely. Um, something that doesn't happen for many of our brothers and sisters around the world. We're grateful for this opportunity to gather as family today. And Lord, we simply ask in the way you've already met us as we walked um, through the doors, the way you've met us as we've said hello to one another, the way you've met us as we've worshipped together, would you continue? We'd ask that you'd pour out your spirit and, and bring revelation to your word, Lord, that we would leave this place transformed because of you. Because of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for who you are and all that you've done and for all that you continue to do. We love you, Lord. Amen. So I'm reading from John chapter 13. Verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean. And you are clean, they're not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet... You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I want to think about first what's happening outside the room and then what's happening inside the room and see what the Lord may have to say to us. Outside the room, we know that it's Passover. It's Passover. So the city of Jerusalem has swollen with activity. More people, more livestock, more traders, more hustle and bustle. It's when the people of God remembered a great deliverance. A time in their history when they'd known great oppression, burdened and broken by slavery and the Lord God intervened. And yet the irony of this situation is they are an oppressed and occupied people again in this moment. I wonder what it must have felt like to come and remember and celebrate whether they were asking, God, would you come again? Could you do that again? Would you move in our lives, in our our community again? Not knowing that the saviour of the world was walking in their midst, moving amongst them, walking through their streets, healing the sick, reaching out to the lost, the last and least, transforming and yet weeping over this city. Now, because the city is swollen um, and there are more people around and there's, um, it's just a messier place to be in the, the shoe of the day was not um, some of the shoes we might wear, but a more open-toed number, open-toed affair. And so as you walk through the street, you kind of pick up stuff. There's the dust and the dirt. There's the sweat from the long walk. There's the, maybe the rotting food and the offerings that any animal may have left. As they walk through the streets, they pick up stuff. And so it was the custom. There was something of a custom when you went to someone's home that you'd have your feet washed. It wasn't just cleansing. It was refreshing, renewing, revitalizing at the end of a weary journey. But let's be clear, it was also utterly disgusting. It was a lowly task. I mean, really, who wants to do that? Who wants to get down into somebody's nasty feet? Really, 
their sweaty, cheese-orientated smelling feet. The filth, the rotting food. And it was such a lowly task that in rabbinic law it stated that a disciple didn't have to wash their rabbi's feet. It was such a lowly task that even a Jewish male slave could refuse to wash someone's feet. It was left for the people in that society in that time who were deemed the lowest of the low. They must have hated Passover. Because then it's even dirtier, even filthier, even messier. That's what's happening outside the room. And yet inside the room, these chapters, um, 13 and onwards, convey this last Passover meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. So much to say, so many things to pack in, the last words, last orders before history has changed. And they don't know that they're in the shadow of the cross, but the Lord does. And this moment, this incredible moment is, is here. And even those first three verses are like in slow motion as the dramatic tension builds. Jesus knows the moment has come, that he's been sent from the Father and he's going to the Father, that this covenant relationship is, out, is about to be outpoured into its kingdom purpose. All the main players take the stage. Judas has already decided and he's on his way. But in this moment, there's such security and yet such resolve. And so Jesus rises up and he takes off his outer garment and he, um, and he wraps a towel around his waist. This in the moment at a time where somewhere in the meal, the disciples have been arguing who the greatest is. It's a real easy answer. Not them. In the midst of this, Jesus takes this position, embodies this position for the lowest of the low, a horrendous, horrific, lowly position, and begins to wash their feet. He has this bowl of water. And and when you look at the text, you see the same language used to describe taking off the outer garment and and then when he's done, wrapping up again. It's the same language we see in other parts of of, um, John's John's text, um, referring to Jesus laying down his life and taking up again. It's rich, this prophetic statement. It's beyond radical. For the disciples. It's more than a moment. It's real intense. It's real intense. Can you imagine how awkward it was, how vulnerable, how self-conscious, how uncomfortable, whether you thought, oh, I've not cut my toes for 13 months now. My nails are curling over. It's that bad. Let alone the smell, let alone the sweat, let alone the fact that this is Jesus washing their feet. And so Peter, who we're all grateful for, because frankly, he articulates the things we say inside, says, no, stay away from my feet, stay away from my nails, stay away from my cracked heels, stay away. Don't wash my feet. You're not welcome here. You're not washing my feet. But Jesus is going after more than Peter's personal hygiene in this moment. And he's saying, look, if you really want to truly be with me, if we are what we say we are, if this relationship is what it is, then you will let me wash your feet. Living out our covenant relationship means this, includes this. You've got to let me in on my terms, Peter. Even though you don't understand and can't understand it yet. Well, Peter, because his heart is after the Lord and he wants Jesus in his life, says, okay, give me everything then. Give me everything. And Jesus reminds him, look, um, in, in this relationship, you're already clean. And again, in the shadow of the cross, we recognize a transformation is taking place. But what Jesus is pointing to is there's something in this relationship where there's got to be room for an ongoing renewing. 
an ongoing refreshing. It's a cleansing that will wash the stinging wound. It's a cleansing that will wash the sweat and the dirt away, the embarrassment even. It's a cleansing, a revitalizing that will wash away the weariness of the day, if you let him. And so he encourages and and urges Peter to let him. Yes, you're one with me and we're in relationship. You've already been made clean, but let me wash your feet. I can make you refreshed again, renewed, revitalized, if you let me. You see, as you and I walk through life, we pick up stuff, don't we? As we walk through life, we pick up the dust and the sweat of the daily grind. As we walk through life, maybe our feet get tired and weary. The dust and the dirt of just our work environments, our home environments, even maybe the thoughts of our own minds. As we walk through life, we pick up stuff. Some stuff is hard to get rid of. It seems to stick. It seems to stay. And as we walk through life, we sometimes get tripped up. And it causes a wound and we bash a toe or, or hurt ourselves in some way and it begins to bleed and we're wounded. And for a while at least, we feel we can't even walk. But then when we do, we walk with something of a limp. The rest of our body overcompensating for this vulnerable part of us. As we walk through life, there are some filthy places and sometimes we stumble into them. Sometimes we are dragged into them. Sometimes we jump into them. And we find ourselves a mess. And Jesus' response to that was to rise up from the glory of heaven and to step in to the brokenness of a broken world. It's sin and it's shame. To roll up his sleeves, as it were. To get on his knees, as it were. To bring out a bowl of water. Remember, he talks about being streams of living water. The water that, that actually quenches the soul. And the deep, deep thirst within. And he washes. And he washes. And he washes the feet. He washes away the wounds. He washes away the weariness. He tends to the dust and the dirt. Jesus wants to wash our feet. But will we let him? Oh, are we very busy wearing our own particular brand of choice? Saying, you'll never wash my feet. You can't come here. You can't come to this part of me. Here, have my Prada instead. Wear my Nikes or see those, these other things I'll present to you. That's not a limp, it's just how I walk. Stay away from the dirt, Jesus. Stay away from the shame, Jesus. Stay away from the weariness, Jesus. I'll just try and be better for you. Maybe if I learn more of the Bible or if I pray harder or do something better, then you won't even need to wash my feet. It'll cover them up like a brand new shiny pair of shoes. But don't wash my feet because I don't want you to see them. I don't want you to see them. And into that, 
I believe Jesus is saying to you and I, then he said to his disciples then, but to his disciples now, he wants to come and wash your feet. Even though you may feel self-conscious, even though you may feel vulnerable, even though you'll feel uncomfortable, even though you may feel vulnerable and exposed, Jesus has stepped into our world and continues to step into our lives to renew us, to cleanse us, to heal us and revitalize us. Yes, we're in relationship with him, but he's not stopped wanting to contribute to that relationship. That part of this covenant relationship we have is that he continues to meet with us and change us and transform us and restore us and redeem if we let him. So I wonder where for you today we need to let him wash our feet. Maybe for you it's wounds. Maybe you would recognize that you walk with something of a limp. Because of situations that have happened, circumstances beyond your control, things that have left you damaged. So long ago, um, you don't know whether you feel pain about it anymore. It almost feels it's part of who you are. I know for me, one of the situations where the Lord really needed to meet me was in the relationship with my father, my um, biological dad. Um, My parents separated before I was born. And so he was never involved in my life. Um, I met him when I was 12, unpleasant. Met him when I was 15, still very difficult. Unpleasant, and not because he did anything terrible, just because I was so stunned and shocked and didn't know what to do with myself. And as a result, when it came to God the Father, it really was just a phrase and occasionally a song. But it meant nothing. Because as far as I was concerned, a father was someone who abandoned you and walked away. And that honestly was my expectation of God. That I got in on his love because he was doing it for all humanity and I just happened to be born. There was no sense of the cross being for me. And so I often lived as though I became a Christian as a kid. I was about nine years old, but I often thought, I'm going to have to be real good so he doesn't walk away. I'm going to have to maybe be better. Talk about overachiever. (laughs) I'm going to have to pray real hard, read real good, be real good, so that he would like me, let alone love me. Wounds that make you walk in a particular way. And obviously would overcompensate in all other ways I could as well. So I'm 16 years old, fast forward a few years, 16 years old, and I go to this church on a Sunday night. It's, um, it's a church in our neighborhood, which is um, kind of something of a renewal center where people would gather. And I went that night because the drummer was really good looking. And um, although people, he didn't know it yet, I was his destiny. And what needed to happen is that if he knew who I was... And if he met me, he would glorify his father. And he would know that God had blessed him immeasurably. So began Operation Destiny's Child. (laughs) And and in Operation Destiny's Child, I went that day and I dressed as a 16-year-old girl about to meet her destiny. Wasn't that appropriate? And when I say not appropriate, I mean not very. And when I say not very, I mean not at all. (laughs) Um... And um, I took a friend, kind of friend who'd be there, but not get in the way of the situation. I um, walked, along, <laughs> walked along, and um, I didn't want to appear desperate and sit on the first row, so I sat on the second. And um, 
Here was the plan. He was going to drum and do his amazing thing during the worship. And then the preacher was going to hurry up. And then at the end of the service, I would go and help him pack up his drums and he would see what the Lord was doing. And wouldn't it be wonderful and amazing? So, <laughs> so um, Operation Destiny's Child is unfolding. The worship is amazing. The preacher could have been quicker. And as the ministry, um, as the as service about to end, someone steps forward. I'm about to step forward, but someone steps forward. And um, there's a prayer team. We've been praying before the service. They pray throughout the service, and they're hungry and listening to the Lord, saying, God, you speak. You speak, and you speak today. So what have you got for these people who are gathered here amongst us? And a woman um, stepped forward and she said, you know, as we prayed before the service, we felt the Lord had a specific word for somebody today. There's a girl here who's never known a father and she feels like an orphan. And as a result, she doesn't know that God's her father and she really struggles to believe that God loves her. And God wants her to know this day that he is her daddy. He's always been there. He's always loved her. He's here for her now. In that moment... I hear sobbing, sobbing, deep, heavy longings, deep, broken sobs. And the words, I want my daddy. I want my daddy. I want my daddy. And it stuns me to realize that it's me sobbing. And it's me longing and aching. I get louder and louder and louder because it's been all compressed until now. It wasn't something you cry about or talk about. It just was what it was. It's what you've always known. It's just life, isn't it? It happens to everybody. But in that moment, everything came out. And so I'm sobbing and weeping and wailing and then remembering that my daddy's not around. So I start sobbing and saying, I want a daddy. I want a daddy. I want a daddy. And I can't breathe very well. And I'm look a mess and it's horrible. And um, as was the custom in that church, when, when the Lord was moving in people's lives, they didn't want anyone to feel too exposed, and so they'd invite the worship team up. And so someone says, if a member of the worship team could come up, please, that'd be wonderful. And begin to play. And they play this tender song about God's love, ministering to you, which actually makes me feel much worse. And, um, and so it, I get louder, I want a daddy! And so forth. Um, and carrying on. I want a daddy, I want a daddy. And um, so they realize that this covering, this gentle covering of music is not working. <laughs> if we could have some more members of the worship team, please. They begin to play, and I'm a little bit competitive. And so, um, <laughs> as, as they get louder, so do I. I'm playing these songs, I want a daddy! It gets louder and louder. If the entire worship band could come up, please. This is still England, folks. And, um, and the sobbing and sobbing. And I'm a, I, anyway, um, not quiet ever, but I really wasn't quiet then. I was And so forth. Until two wonderfully kind women come towards me. I became that girl. Um, but <laughs> come towards me, I think possibly with an article of clothing as well. And, um, gently escort me to what would have preferably been a soundproof room and the last anybody sees is I want a daddy I want a daddy being dragged away he never called that guy 
ended up meeting um, the pastor and his wife, and they sat with me. They were so kind. So, they gave so much time. And um, they listened as I just shared my life as much as I could rem- say at that point. Um, and they prayed with me. And I'm not a touchy-feely person because I'm just not touchy-feely. And, um, in, but in that moment, I felt the presence of God so powerfully. It was like being wrapped in a blanket and held tightly, tightly. And as they prayed a peace, um, and I know we read bits about the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding, but I think I knew what that felt like in that moment. Because it completely, it, it completely overrode everything else. It didn't change the circumstances, but it fundamentally changed me. Um, and they prayed with me. And when I looked up, and I thought, oh dear. <laughs> um, I said, I still don't get it though. I don't get, I know you prayed for me and we've had this moment, but I don't get how this changes anything. And they said, you know, the great thing about God being your father is that it's his responsibility to get it through to you. His responsibility. And so began the healing of a wound and so began the tending of a foot and so began um, the Lord restoring the years which the locusts have eaten and giving me a firm place to stand. What are your wounds, friends? And did you know You may have bandaged it in all kinds of ways. You may have poured it into various addictions. You may have hidden it with being distant in relationships. But the truth is that Jesus comes to wash your feet. And he comes to restore you if you let him. And we know these things aren't quick fixes. They weren't quick things that happened. And yet the Lord in his mercy comes alongside The word says that he's close to the brokenhearted and near those who are crushed in spirit. Are you crushed in spirit today? The Lord's near you. Whether your wound was 40 years ago, he's not tired of hearing about it from you. Whether the wound was yesterday or even this morning, he's not tired of you. What are you carrying through life that you're overcompensating with in all kinds of ways? The Lord Jesus Christ comes into your world. And he comes to wash your feet, to renew you, to heal you, to restore you, to revitalize you. Let him. Let him. But you know, there are other things he comes to minister to. Maybe we allow ourselves to have wounds, but are we allowed to be weary with the day-to-day? The day-to-day of maybe raising young children. You've not slept for 16 years. Some of you. You thought you'd get some sleep after the kids started school and then they became teenagers and you're awake for all kinds of other reasons now. (laughs) Weary. Yeah, you choose your life and you love your life, but weary. Or maybe it's the workplace which has worn you out. The dust and the dirt is sticking to you and maybe there are decisions that aren't entirely ethical, that you're not entirely comfortable with and you don't know what to do because you've got to support your family and all that kind of stuff. Jesus comes to the weariness to wash you. Maybe you're dealing with long-term unanswered prayers, wondering where God is. Saying, hello, did you hear me? Did you know that I prayed that too? (laughs) And he comes to wash your feet. And one of the churches I was in 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 England, after growing up in London, moved to a city called Sheffield. And it was a church where we're exploring this whole missional thing and what it meant to, what that looked like in everyday life. And um, it was quite a young congregation, so over time and a lot of encouragement, people started dating one another and getting together. And, um, and that was wonderful in the beginning. Wonderful. Great weddings, you got to wear new outfits. 
got to sing a few songs. But then I noticed something happening. Or should I say not happening? What I noticed was, me and my friends would get together to pray about, well, we were probably watching Jerry Maguire or something, but after that, praying. Um, praying that the Lord would send somebody who would complain or something. Um, and we'd pray about these things. And my friends would meet these wonderful guys and I would meet with disaster. I'm not saying the people were concerned were a disaster, just the whole situation. Now, after the first 10 weddings, I'm a patient girl, occasionally. After the first 10 weddings, I'm fine. You sing, shout to the Lord at the wedding, and it's all glorious, and you know, and you're happy for your friends. And I was still happy for my friends. The following year, when there were 12 weddings, I wasn't so fine about my prayer, which was not being answered. Dear Jesus, I have been a good girl for quite some time now. I have not worn anything appropriate since that day. I have prayed really good prayers. I have appropriate amounts of alcohol. I'm really good. I read my Bible old and new. I'm learning both biblical languages. I give money appropriately. I do tithes and offerings. Give me a husband. What is wrong? What have you done? What haven't I done? I thought you loved me. And if I have to sing, shout to the Lord, at one more wedding, I'm going to shout, all right? And then I'm going to punch somebody. Amen. Amen. There's a thing in Proverbs where it talks about how hope deferred makes the heart sick. I was heartsick. Oh, maybe just a little sick, but heartsick. <laughs> I wonder where you're heartsick. It might be about the relationship thing. It might be about what's not happening. It might be about what is happening. Um, it, I don't know what it will be for you, but into that situation, will you allow the Lord to meet you and wash your feet? To tend to you in your weariness, to come alongside you where there are no answers? Or will you put on your nice shiny shoes and pretend it's not there? Where are you worried? Are there financial worries? Are there family worries? Are there work worries? He comes to wash your feet and meet with you. Let him meet with you. Let him revitalize you. Let him heal your wounds. But it goes even further than this um, when we look through the passage because then Jesus says to these disciples who've just been arguing about who's the greatest... I've done this for you. I want you to do this for each other. I want you to step up and step down. To take on this role which you are so reviled and offended by of serving one another. Of ministering to one another. Of giving life-giving water to one another. And washing the weariness and the wounds, the sweat and the shame away. Jesus wants us to wash one another's feet. And so our question to reflect on is, do you wash each other's feet or do you tread on them? When we think of ourselves as the body of Christ, are we a committed family or are we like these dismembered parts doing our own thing and wondering why we're not as effective? Will we do what it takes to be a community? A genuine, tangible community. And obviously that looks different in a big crowd as it does when we're gathered in smaller groups or whatever. 
But are we the kind of people who will wash one another's feet? Or will we tread on them? Will we compare ourselves with each other like the disciples then did and compete with one another? Compete about our families, our homes, our our bank balances. Will we gossip about each other and call it prayer requests? You could just pray for that person because you'll never guess. Jesus has called us to a high calling, folks, hasn't he? Because he calls us to get past stuff. Can you imagine what the early church had to get past to be who they were? Unity was not a song or a sentiment. It was a sacrificial life. It was a putting down of long-held attitudes to say there are no slave or free. It was a sacrificial life. A renewing of the mind that could only come by the Spirit of God. Are we ready for that? Will we let him help us? And there are practical things we can do to that. Um, because no one wants to go first and say, hi, I'm addicted to various things that, um, yeah, I'm addicted, help me. Pray with me, stand with me. No one wants to go first. And maybe the first step is to allow people into our homes. I don't know what it is. I, I was saying to the earlier service, I think it might be Pinterest. You know, we have those beautiful pin boards of the life you're not ever going to live, the recipes you're never going to cook, the decor you're never going to have. But hey, we can dream. Um, that thing. I sometimes, I mean, I love it, but I, I sometimes wonder whether we actually project on ourselves the kind of expectations that if our house, if anyone got, comes into our house, it's got to look like Martha Stewart's or something. If we cook a meal for someone, it's got to be perfect. Because that apparently, if it's not, it makes us worse Christians. How did we get there? How did we not realize that that's one of those sorts you take captive and throw where it belongs, i.e. hell, rather than own and live by? Because although that's a small thing, for us to share our lives and our hearts and our brokenness, it starts with building relationships, doesn't it? So we've got to start with the small things. But if we don't do the small things, we'll never get to the other things. Because who's going to share all their stuff with someone they've barely met? No one. But you want genuine relationships. But will we make the time to build them? Throughout humanity, there's been 24 hours in a day and seven in a week. I know we're all busy. Because that's often our thing is, I'm too busy. I don't have time. We may need to make some time to wash one another's feet, to stand alongside each other as we wrestle in our marriages, as we wrestle with our singleness, as we wrestle as we look to the future and retirement. We, we may need to do that, to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus one to another. What will it cost you, but what is God calling you into in that area? And what does it mean practically? Do you need to decide that you're going to spend Memorial Weekend with somebody else? That you're going to invite people into something? Do you need to decide to stick around for the barbecue outside afterwards? Is that the first step? And if that's the first step, celebrate it and do it. Are there other classes and courses building to, um, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's was it Discovering the Kingdom. Anyway, I can't remember. But there's one about you moving towards missional communities and things. Do you need to join that? Do you need to take a practical step which opens you up to belonging? Now, some of us have been significantly wounded by other believers, significantly wounded by the churches, all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you this. Your Redeemer lives, which means you don't have to stay in that broken place. You don't have to stay afraid of relationships anymore. It's okay that you grieve. And that you know what? Let's, let me tell you, it's not that it's insignificant what you've experienced. It's just that it's so significant that Jesus went to the cross that you'd be free. That's how big a deal it was to him. So receive what he's got for you and let him wash your feet so you can be restored to your community. 
because we're stronger together than we are apart. And those of us who float, and I say this as someone from another church, those of us who float from place to place, find somewhere you can call home. And if this is your home, live like it's your home, not like it's a hotel. Be here. Discover the joy of being here. We're all imperfect. We're all imperfect and we will hurt one another, but Jesus calls us to wash one another's feet. And for those of us who've established ourselves in relationship, dare to be vulnerable. Dare to share the things that you really care about. Dare to say when it's hard. And when someone says, how are you? And you're tempted to say you're fine. Don't lie. Don't lie. I'm fine. I'm about to kill my husband, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I hate my boss and I hope he gets hurt. I'm fine. I'm fine. My heart is broken. I'm wrestling with postpartum depression, but I'm fine. Because no one wants to go first and say they're addicted to the images they see on the internet. No one wants to go first and say they're self-harming and they thought they'd have grown out of that by now. No one wants to go first and say they struggle with food. No one wants to go first and say they're in debt up to their eyeballs and they're addicted to their credit cards. No one wants to go first. But at some point, someone's going to have to for us to take this thing deeper and to not, you know, we say we're not, we don't go to church. We are the church. Well, okay, then we are. No one wants to go first with that kind of vulnerability because we feel low and we feel a bit humiliated because somehow we've been deceived into believing that being honest is a terrible thing. And yet there's something about the healing power of the community as the spirit moves through it is that when these things are brought to the light and we still know the love and acceptance of a community, that it begins to push back the shame. Some of us have been living with shame for years now. Shamed of what we've done, ashamed of who we are, ashamed of where we still are. As a community, folks, let's learn. Let's learn the stepping stones of washing one another's feet. And it may start with inviting someone over for a meal. It may start with a coffee. It may start with a conversation rather than rushing away at the end. It may start with not just waiting for someone to come and talk to you, but you and going to talk to somebody else. Let's build the kind of community which illustrates the washing of feet, where wounds can be cleansed, where we'll hold someone up while they're walking with a limp where we'll come alongside them in their tiredness. And it may be such a practical thing, but it illustrates the love of Jesus Christ. And the final point um, before we close is all of this conversation is in the shadow of the cross, isn't it? All of this that Jesus is doing and empowering the disciples to do is with a perspective of the cross where Jesus will stretch out his arms and figuratively speaking, wash the feet of a broken world. And the truth is, as his body, he sends us and he empowers us to the feet of a broken world. Which doesn't know a saviour's love, that doesn't know his name. And here's the reality, we have been given good news. We know the good news. We've experienced the good news. And as such, it's too good to keep to ourselves. Isn't it? That freedom that he brought. God has changed my life forever, I'm telling nobody. Just me and him. Jesus has helped me forgive someone I thought I could never forgive. Keeping that quiet. 
Jesus has given me a strength and a security in my identity like I never knew, but I'm not telling any of you. Jesus has healed and restored and rebuilt my family. And as you talk to me about how your life's a mess, I'm going to say, oh, what a shame. Or will this good news that we have be shared? Who are the people in your lives that don't know the Lord? Jesus, when he sent out the 12 and the 72, he referred to um, the person of peace in Luke 10. People who welcome you, open to you and serve you. Who are they? Testify to what God is doing. Testify to what God has done. Let them know there's good news for their story, that his story will encompass their story and turn it around. He sends you and I, he's positioned us here for such a time as this, to wash the feet of a broken world. But will we allow ourselves to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this moment, in this time? The words um, by um, uh, an English preacher who's now, um, who's since passed away called John Stott. Great guy, an incredible man of God. And these were his words. Our Christian habit is to bewail the world's deteriorating standards with an air of rather self-righteous dismay. We criticize its violence, dishonesty, immorality, disregard for human life, and materialistic greed. The world's going down the drain, we say with a shrug. But whose fault is it? Who's to blame? Let me put it like this. If the house is dark when the nightfall comes, there's no sense in blaming the house, for that's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where's the light? If the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there's no sense in blaming the meat. For that's what happens when bacteria is left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where's the salt? Just so, if society deteriorates and its standards decline till it becomes like a dark night or stinking fish, there is no sense in blaming society. For that is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Why are the salt and the light of Jesus Christ not permeating and changing society? It's sheer hypocrisy on our part to raise our eyebrows, shrug our shoulders, or wring our hands. The Lord Jesus told us to be the world's salt and light. Jesus has washed your feet and wants to wash your feet. Let him. Invite him in to change and turn things around in your life. Jesus calls you to wash one another's feet rather than think how high you can get, think of how low you can go and minister to one another. Being his hands and feet, be, allow him ourselves to be vessels of the Holy Spirit that people would see the fruit of the Spirit through us, that they'd taste the, the fruit of the Spirit through the way we interact with them, that people would see the gifts and encounter the gifts of the Spirit through us. Because we would be those who prophesy and lay hands on the sick and cast out demons. And he empowers us. He empowers us to wash the feet of a broken world. Invite the spirit to fill you again. Yes, to flow into you, but to flow through you also. He wants to wash your feet, people. He wants you to wash one another's feet. But there is a world who is hungry for good news. May we not just proclaim that good news, may we also be it. May we not just be that good news, may we also proclaim it to a broken and a hurting world. And when Jesus is looking for people to fulfill his great commission, may we here this day say, here am I, send me. Let's just take a moment to stand together and we'll pray before we go from this place.
Now, as you, as you know better than I do, um, that at the end of our time together, the prayer ministers will be on either side. If you need someone to come alongside you and you recognize that, do take that opportunity. One of many opportunities in the life of this family. Allow them to pray with you. Invite them. Let this be your first step, as it were. So know that that's available. If you're wanting to learn how to build community, there's a meal out there. Why not stick around and have some? Be part of that. Be part of that. Our responses can be real practical and really now. Let me just pray as we go from this place. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time that we get to meet with you. And Lord, we invite you again to our feet, to the parts of our life which we're embarrassed about, which we're kind of ashamed of. And Lord, we ask, come and wash our feet by the power of your spirit. Lord, to where we need to build community, show us the first step. The first step. And Lord, may we be willing to respond. Help us to wash one another's feet, Lord. That people would encounter the fruit of the Spirit and one with another. The gifts of the Spirit, one with another. And Lord, as we go from this place, remind us who our people of peace are. Remind us who needs your love and who's, who's open to hearing that we would wash the feet of a broken world. Here we are, send us. Lord, all these things today we pray in your name, for your glory and yours alone. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.